Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on May 8th of 2010 under the headline Rajneesh Puram, Oregon's Most Infamous Ashram. The backstory. It's part one of a four-part series about Rajneesh Puram. Here we go. Once upon a time in India, a man lived. He would go on to become one of the most influential thinkers in New Age thought, but at this time, the early 1970s, he was merely a philosophy teacher. In an age that looked worshipfully at Mahatma Gandhi's teachings, this young fellow swam against the tide. He felt Gandhi and the socialists in general glorified poverty too much. How, he wondered, was India to rise above its grinding, dehumanizing poverty without capitalism, without a striving for physical things? In contrast, what this teacher taught was that physical prosperity was good, not bad, because God was in everything physical, including the cash in your wallet and the Aston Martin in your driveway, and that we have but to awaken ourselves to him to see the world in a whole new way, and to feel at peace with it, regardless of how much of it we own and control personally. As you can imagine, this message held great appeal for those who were wealthy and wished to remain so without feeling bad about it. The teacher set up an ashram near his hometown in Pune, India, in 1974. People would come to hear his discourses and to meditate with him in groups. Grateful plutocrats showered him with riches and gifts. At the ashram, the teacher mixed the spiritual traditions of India with a number of the human potential psychotherapies that had been developed in the 1960s and 70s at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. These included things like primal therapy, gestalt, and most notoriously, encounter therapy. He was rich, well-loved by his followers. But he'd also become very unpopular with the locals in Pune. Thousands of well-heeled Westerners who had flocked to his ashram were constantly offending Pune residents with disrespectful and promiscuous behavior and appearance on the streets of town. Some of the less wealthy among those Westerners were financing extended stays in India by engaging in drug-running and prostitution. Some of these got arrested, and it's still unclear whether the ashram was directly involved in their activities. The locals had started referring to him as the sex guru. There were other, more serious issues as well. In his active meditation groups, people flailed and thrashed and screamed, the idea being to get the body so busy that the mind could free itself to seek enlightenment. Onlookers found this alarming, like watching someone have an epileptic seizure. To make matters worse, one of these groups, called Encounter Group, had become notorious for its acts of violence and sex, and even worse, combinations of the two, among participants during sessions. Some of these events were severe enough to require medical intervention. In his account, McCormick suggests that these acts were a planned part of Encounter Group, intended to open people up to their suppressed emotions and vent them, and that participation in Encounter Group was used like a rite of passage to the ranks of true initiates. 
if this is true, the teacher had become, under both Indian and American law, a criminal. It is worth noting, though, that McCormick's account makes no secret of his point of view, which is very hostile to this sect. This may also have led to the Indian government's decision in 1974 to yank his tax-exempt status and send him a bill for the equivalent in Indian currency of several million dollars in back taxes. By now, though, tax troubles were the least of the teacher's worries. His health was failing. His allergies were worsening. He'd developed diabetes. He needed to move somewhere dry anyway. Why not skip the country and keep his tax money? He just needed to find a place with wide-open spaces and a tradition of leaving one's neighbors alone. Central Oregon looked perfect. By this time, 1981, he had abandoned his old name, Chandra Mohan Jain, and taken on the name Vagwan Sri Rajneesh. Vagwan is Sanskrit for, more or less, Blessed One, Sri, roughly equivalent to Mr., and Rajneesh is a nickname of sorts that he had acquired in childhood, meaning moon. A group of his disciples found the perfect place for him, a bargain at just six million bucks. It was a huge ranch in central Oregon, on the John Day River near the tiny hamlet of Antelope. After they bought it and rechristened it Rajneesh Puram, the Vagwan Sri Rajneesh snuck out of Pune, got on a jet airliner, and a short time later became, physically though never legally, an Oregon resident. Key sources in this story have included works by Bill Gulick, Wynne McCormick, and Osho.com. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are Offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye.